0: Pray with me. Father, I thank you that right now we are in the presence of the King. Father, I pray that this morning we would know that you're here intellectually, but also, God, that you would fill us with your Spirit and that we would experience you being here. And Father, I thank you that you are in our presence tonight or this morning. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for the beautiful song and a time of worship. Father, as we study the Scripture again, Help us to understand it. Help us to know you better and to be a people that seek to glorify you above all else. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are going to be in Luke chapter 11 this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to spend most of our time in Luke 11. You'll recall we have been going through this series looking at the elements, the focal points of the early church from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And so as they formed together, they focused on certain things. Number one was the teaching of the apostles. That is, they wanted to know the Word of God. Number two was fellowship, and then we talked about breaking the bread. And then this week, they says they focused on prayer. Well, if they committed themselves and dedicated themselves to prayer some 2,000 years ago, guess what? We still need to do it today. How many of you, when you're away from your family or maybe away from your spouse, you might give them a call on your cell phone. Why do you call them? Number one, you, maybe you want to talk to them. You want to tell them you love them. They care for you. Maybe they said you need to call and check in so I know you're okay. But you know why you really call them? Because they're not in the room with you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to pick up a phone, would you? Well, we know God is here, but do we see Him? Do we, do we hear Him all the time? We don't, do we? Prayer is kind of like picking up that phone. You've got a lifeline right now at any moment where you can stop and you can direct your attention and your voice and pray to God the Father on His throne. And just like your spouse or your loved one might pick up that phone the other end, guess what? He's there. And God always knows where His phone is. Because sometimes sometimes when I, when I call... I just don't get an answer, and I don't know what's going on, and it turns out maybe the, she doesn't know where her phone is or something, or, you know, maybe the battery's dead. Who knows? You guys have all done that. God is always waiting. And so we're talking about being a church this morning committed to prayer. Before we get into Luke chapter 11, which is going to be our main text, I want you to consider this, okay? You hear, some of you heard that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, and if you stop and think about what it would mean to actually stop and pray for an hour, you might start sweating a little bit. And you think, I don't know about that. That sounds kind of rough, right? That, that could take a long, you know, I might get bored. My mind's going to wander. And we're going to talk about that towards the end. But as we talk about prayer today, I don't want you to think about it just as a duty or an obligation or something. Well, the pastor said I got to pray for an hour every day. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I want you to understand. Prayer is a privilege that was bought for us by the blood of Christ. Listen to this. is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Listen to this. Therefore... Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ, our high priest, paid the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me. He died on the cross for us. And what that means is, look, he fully understands your humanity because he took on a body like yours and like mine. And he understands, and according to that text, he is able to sympathize with, with our weaknesses. We have this great God who has done that for us. Even knowing that weakness, He died on the cross. And he, you know that the Scripture says Jesus continues to intercede for us, pray on our behalf, intercede for us before the Father right now. Because we have an accuser, Satan, who is standing there accusing us day and night. But guess what? Jesus is there to say, I paid for that. I paid for His sin I am making him holy and righteous. And so we have this great high priest that is there. And then it says that because of that, we can draw near to God. The God on his throne, the God ruling, ruling and reigning over the universe right now says, you can draw near to me, to my very throne. We approach the Almighty and we receive mercy and grace. Hear that, to help in the time of need. How many of you have ever been in help need, need of help? You've been in a time of need where things were not going the way you wanted. Things sometimes look hopeless, but even on your best days, guess what? You need grace, and you need to be able to approach God on His throne. So you and I can approach the very throne of God through prayers. We have a good Father, as we'll see today. He desires to help us, and He's going to tell us that as we look at Luke 11 today. As we study together this morning, do not think simply of prayer as an obligation or a duty. Think about it as our privilege. Consider it a privilege and a great mystery that you can speak with the Almighty, the Holy One, the Alpha and Omega at any time. Doesn't that change your perspective? If we approach anything as a with a sense of duty and law, we come to it and we think, "Man, I just got to check this off my box." And it becomes a burden to us. But if we realize prayer is a privilege, it is great for us. It is a blessing for us. It revives us and rejuvenates us. It makes us uh, feel helps us draw closer to him. Gives us strength in times of need. We're going to read now from Luke chapter 11. Would you stand in honor the reading of God's word? It happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place. After he had finished one of his disciples said to him, "Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of, your fa- one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if, if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You know, Jesus taught his disciples in this text to pray. And there's a, in Matthew chapter 6, you find a parallel account of this, or at least another time where Jesus taught this same prayer. There in Matthew, there's a few more examples. You don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus says, And when you pray, then in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says, But when you pray... Matthew 6, 7, Jesus repeats, and when you pray, and then in Matthew 6, 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. Here's what we should get out of that. Jesus expects us to do what? To pray, right? And he says over and over, and when you pray, there's an expectation that you will be praying, and he's now going to talk about how it is that we should be doing it. Uh, In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus taught his disciples that they should always pray. He didn't say, if you pray, but when you pray. So not only is prayer expected, it is expected and commanded of us. And we find that very clearly laid out to us in the text. Now, we're told specifically in Matthew 6, don't pray for appearance. In other words, we don't pray so people will think that we are spiritual and holy and respect us or give us great esteem. We don't want to be like the hypocrites who, it said back then, would stand on the street corner and pray there so that everybody would see them. That's not what this is about. We need to pray to the God who sees what we do in secret, because He's the one who knows your motives, why you pray. He knows all these things. But is the God that sees in secret that should be giving us praise and reward not for men. Second and Matthew were warned against meaningless repetition. He tells them, listen, don't just pray with a lot of words and expect that that's going to do anything. I've seen a lot of people, uh, for instance, the Lord's Prayer can be used like this. You get in time of trouble, you just start repeating it. Uh, We used to pray this before every single football game. I wasn't even a Christian. I didn't grow up in church. I had no idea what that prayer meant. But you know what? We prayed it before every single game. And I guarantee you that the vast majority of other football players on there, they didn't know what it meant either. It was a magic prayer for us. It meant we weren't going to get hurt. It meant we were going to win, right? Sometimes it, Sometimes it was disappointing. But we prayed that every week. And I'm not saying that prayer is bad. It's a good prayer. But we need to think about what we pray. And we need to mean it. It can't just be meaningless repetition. And so he tells them that in Matthew chapter 6. And you know why it tells him that? It says, listen, God already knows what you need. He knows before you ask him. Uh, In Psalm 139, it says, Before a word is on your tongue, he already knows it. And if he knows all those things, if he can take care of all your needs, why then should we even bother to pray? Well, one, he commanded us to. Second, he wants to hear from us. He's our father. He loves us. Just like you call your spouse, he wants you to pick up the phone and call him. He's our father. He wants to hear from his children. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. We already began reading this, and he's he's teaching them how to pray because they've asked. And if you look at verse 2, it says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins by teaching, us, teaching them to pray by asking for God's name to be set apart as holy and revered. We want Him to be honored. We want people to give Him the glory due to His name. We have no higher aim as a church or as individuals but this, to bring glory to God, to make His name known, and that's what we're really asking for in this prayer. We ask it for ourselves. We ask it for others. May his name be honored and worshiped as all people praised him. We don't use that word hallowed anymore, do we? It just means sacred, holy, set apart. Okay, So we've used that in other words, but here we cling to the traditional language, hallowed be your name. But it's just a prayer, God, I want your name to be great. I want your name to be known among the nations. I want your name to be number one in my heart. Second, he tells them, yeah, if you look at back at verse in the text, follow, hallowed be your name, and then your kingdom come. He tells them to pray for God's kingdom to come. Matthew adds this, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we do in pray, indeed pray for the advancement of God's kingdom, as well as the final realization of God's kingdom when, at Christ's second coming. In other words, all things are going to be fulfilled. Christ's kingdom, we will fully realize it and live in it, when Christ comes again. But for now, the kingdom of God has already started, hasn't it? Because we know that way back in the Gospels, he was telling them, look, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It is already beginning. And we are already experiencing that. We have the new birth. We've been saved. We've been rescued. We've been made into new creatures. And now, aren't we trying to live according to the rules of the kingdom? Aren't we trying to live in a way that pleases God and glorifies Him and brings Him honor, isn't that part of why we're praying to begin with? We want to serve Him and know our beautiful God, and he's, we're praying for the advancement of God's kingdom. Now, we want that in our, for our own lives. We want to be more like Him. We want to serve the kingdom well. We pray that same thing for Forest Heights Baptist Church, don't we? We want unity and fellowship, and we want to be about God's mission And we also pray for the lost community around us. We need to be about praying and saying, God, we want your kingdom to come. And we are looking forward to it, but we also want its advancement right now. And that there's people that we know right outside of the walls of this church who have never heard the gospel. And you don't believe me, I know you don't. Because we grew up in an age where everybody kind of had an understanding of what Christianity meant. But they don't anymore. And I can tell you this from experience. Uh, Number one in my life, I grew up next to a Baptist church. I could walk through the field and be there in less than a minute. I did not know the gospel. We didn't go to church. And because of that, I can tell you this, when I got saved and I got older, the gospel was a new revelation to me. I didn't understand what it meant. And I guarantee you, if you go out in this community... People don't know the message. Go ask them this. Ask your friends, neighbors. Hey, could you just tell me what is it that Christians believe? And you'll be amazed at their answers to what they think the Bible teaches about salvation. They really will. And so we need to pray for the advancement of God's kingdom. Third, in this prayer, he says, give us each day our daily bread. We pray for God to give us and meet our daily needs. This is a prayer simply asking, God, would you provide for us? And we have all sorts of prayers that maybe fit this category. If you look, uh, you think about what we do on Wednesday nights, we pray for needs all the time. There's always health issues that are coming up. We ask God to provide for that. We ask for uh, resources. We ask for all kinds of things. We want God, the sustainer of all things, to provide. Our daily bread for us. This isn't a prayer of, God, I just want to pig out. I want the whole buffet. He's saying, i pray for our daily bread. God, would you meet the needs that we have today? And isn't that what he tells us in Matthew as well? Listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Doesn't tomorrow have enough worries of its own? But you know what he tells us in that passage? God knows the things you need. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or where, because God knows them. You seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you, because God is on his throne, and he knows what you need before you even ask. But do you hear what he said there? Seek first the kingdom of God. What are we praying? God, your kingdom come. Just give us our daily bread. Give us the things that we need, so that we can go about this life in in service of you. Fourth, here, he, said, he begins to pray and says in verse 4, God, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So we begin by asking for forgiveness. Brothers, confession of sin, you know, isn't just something we do at, at conversion. It's not just when we get saved and we tell God, you know what, I'm a sinner. How many of you sinned this week? All right, I wasn't going to ask for a show of hands, but you did anyway. I'm watching. I sinned this week, I sure did. We all do it, right? And that's part of the beauty of the gospel is that when we sin, we know we have an advocate advocate with us before the Father. And that if you look at 1 John 1, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, it says, If we confess our sins... He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Church, if we want to be a holy people, if we want to be a pure people, a people set apart for God's service so that he can use us, we want to be clean vessels, if we want to do that, if we care about holiness, we will show concern over our sin by asking forgiveness and seeking to obey him. Now, we've talked about this a couple of times, but every revival where God does a great work among his people, begins growing his church, always begins with prayer and always begins by a concern over holiness. It begins with me and you saying, God, I want to be like you. I want to serve you. I want to put sin to death. I want to be holy. Would you help me? And you know what? That's a prayer God wants to answer. And so we pray and ask God for forgiveness for our sins because it, it makes us aware of our shortfalling but also brings us back to that grace where He gives you everything and He freely forgives you time and time again because He's already paid the price for you on the cross. Now, there's a, again, there's an assumption, assumption here that we will actually forgive those who have sinned against us. That's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, it, I want forgiveness. But sometimes it's easy to hold a grudge, isn't it? There's a reason the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Because when we hold those grudges, it brings bitterness and more sin. And I'm telling you what, we think about this church and where we're going, beginning to start planning and look at a vision for who we're going to be as a church. And how we're going to reach the loss in this community. How we're going to bring glory to God. Not forgiving others will bring that all down to the ground. Because we'll hold grudges and we'll begin to sin against one another. And that gives the enemy a foothold in this church. And so there's a reason he says, listen, pray for forgiveness. But also he throws that in there. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive those who, who are indebted to us. Church, if we want to be a praying church, we've got to pray like this. And if we want to be a church that has fellowship, we've got to do this. We've got to forgive and not hold on to past griefs and sins. To acknowledge our need to forgive one another in prayer is the first step to actually forgiving one another. If we'll go to Him and say, you know what, Lord, that person hurt me, I know they did. It's been a long time, but I'm still holding on to that. If we will go to him and tell him that, he will begin that work of forgiveness in your heart. But you've got to admit it, and you've got to go to him. Lastly, in this prayer, he prays, lead us not into temptation. We pray that God would keep us from t- temptation, protect us from the evil one. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Every one of us goes through temptation, don't we? But we're, we're asking God, listen, will you protect us in this? Lead us out of the temptation. Give us the way out, which in 1 Corinthians says he did. Now, and you know, if you look in the book of James, people were saying, well, God tempts me. God tempted me. He tested me like this. And in James, you know what it says? God doesn't tempt people. But when your own desire and your own lust gets between you and God, when you make that an idol and you decide, I'm going to follow my pleasure and my wants over what he did, guess what? That is sin. That lust, and when we carry that out, that's sin. That's temptation. When we see it, We want it, and we do it. And so he's saying we're asking God to provide some measure of help and grace as we go through this temptation. Remember what we read in Hebrews? Guess who we had in Jesus? A high priest who says was tempted as we are. You know why? Because he took on a body just like this one. He knows its weaknesses and its frailties. And if he was tempted, but he didn't sin, And now we're tempted, and he's providing a way out. And so sometimes, yes, we know we have a sin nature. We know that we will not be fully done with sin until we stand with him in glory. But guess what? Even now, he's helping us. And if we will pray and ask him, help me overcome these sins. I'm not saying you won't struggle. I'm not saying there won't be hard days and some sins that just seem hardest to dig out. But he will help you because the prayer is what he promises us to do. Uh, I discovered uh, on the back of uh, the property that we ha- we just purchased from Miss Janice. Thank you, Miss Janice. By the way, we are really blessed. We really are. It has been fantastic moving in and getting settled and looking so forward to the memories we're going to make there. Uh, but I found out there's some bamboo on the back, right? And, and the bamboo on, on that back little spring there is spreading through the backyard. And it had been mowed down uh, in a little bit of the spring. You know how quickly that stuff grows. It's like that sin, isn't it? It's made me think of this as I was reading it. You know, you chop it down, and guess what? All those rhizomes and roots under the ground, they're just going to pop back up somewhere else. And so you have to make a conscious effort to, I'm going to get rid of that bamboo. So you know what we're doing? We're going down, we're cutting off bamboo and pouring poison in the hole. That's the only way to kill them and it could take years. Guess what? Sin's like that, isn't it? But we have to put it to death. We have to cut it off. We're not going to put poison in it, but we might put the Word of God in it. And we're going to pray and ask God, don't lead us into temptation. Help me put to sin, or put to death, the sin that's in my body. Help me fight it. And just like that bamboo might take a while, well, we're we're not completed. He's still carrying out the work that he started, and you And we know we're going to have days where we struggle. And he's there for that. He's already said, hey, when we sin, just confess it. Ask for forgiveness. Stand strong in his grace and stick with it. He's going to be there to help us. Now, I don't know how far we're going to make it for sake of time. I know we're almost done. Uh, Look at just the next passage, though. The next couple things. I'm going to give two kind of points as we get ready to close this. In verse 5, he gives this illustration there's a friend who goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves. Can you imagine somebody going to your house in the middle of the night it's like, Can you give me three loaves of bread? We've got a friend that just arrived on a long journey. He got here in the night. I don't have any food for him. I can tell you for a fact, when people used to come visit us overseas, you know what they wanted? It didn't matter if it was in the middle of the night. They needed food. And so we usually had to try tried to have some kind of warm meal prepared for them in the night. This person says, well, we didn't know they were coming. They show up in the middle of the night. They're like, we're hungry. And so what does he do? He goes to his neighbor, starts banging on the door. Hey, I need some bread. I got some guests. And you know what he said? Man, I'm sleeping. I'm not getting up. And so he goes back. You know, here's the good news for us, church. God isn't asleep. But if that man hadn't got up and asked his neighbor for bread and been persistent, would he have gotten the bread? He wouldn't. And so what we learn out of this is he's telling us, I want you to pray, and you have to ask. You have to come to me. And right after that, if you look in the text in verse 9, it says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Listen, there's an element of there in this text where that's talking about people seeking God for salvation, especially if you look at the Matthew passage. What he's really going to give you is himself. But also, when you have needs, when you have things that you need, and as a church, do we have needs? Did we, don't, didn't we just say we want the advancement of God's kingdom here? We want God to be glorified in this church? Well, guess what that we need to do according to this text? Knock and ask. We have to be there and ask Him. And He tells us, look, if you will ask, I'll give it to you. That's the kind of God we serve. Now just uh, look down at verse 11. It says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. You want to give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Isn't that a weird passage, a weird verse? Can you imagine one of my kids says, listen, I'm hungry. I haven't had any food. And they tell us that all the time. And they say, I want a fish. And I'm like, I got a good prank to pull on this kid. Here's a snake, and I throw it at him. Does that sound like a good father? Sounds like a terrible idea, right? Or so they say, I'm hungry, Dad. Can you cook me an egg? I'm like, no, but here's a scorpion. That'd be terrible, right? God's not like that either. It says that He's a giver of good gifts. And if we know better than that, in our humanity, in our sinfulness, in the sinful world even knows, listen, you don't do that to children. How much more can we trust God, the Father, to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That He will meet with us. That He will help us go about the mission that He's given us. He will help us to bring glory to Him. Uh, he's a giver of good gifts. So we, I'm going to begin to wrap this up here again. I know I've already said that a couple times. And uh, I think I, I notice I'm having a tendency to go over a little bit. We've got to work out some scheduling things here. But I think this is what God has called us to look at. So let's, let's stay here for just another moment. Church, do you want to see... Christ glorified and honored here in this community? Do you want to see revival in your own hearts? Do you want to see people declaring their faith in Christ and being saved? Do you want to see people get baptized? Wouldn't you guys like it if next week I said, listen, we're taking that tarp down because we need to baptize some people. And I'm not certain it's doing any good anyway. Listen, I was praying the other day. Wouldn't you like to see like 50 baptisms in this church? If we don't ask, Are we going to see it? He says, if we'll ask, he'll give it to us. Now, I can't say that God's going to promise us 50 baptisms, but can't we pray great prayers expecting our God to be a great God on his throne? That he can do all things. And so why aren't we praying that kind of prayer? Why are we doing it? And we've got to do it. We need to pray together. And that means praying together in corporate settings like this. It means praying together in our Wednesday night meetings. You need to pray together as you fellowship together in Sunday school. You need to, as we meet from house to house, like the scripture says, let's begin praying together. And let's ask this. We have not because we ask not. And we need to continue to be people of grace. You know, I think, some, I think sometimes the reason we avoid prayers is it's supernatural. You don't always see the results when you want. And we wonder if it does any good. You know, the, the secular world makes fun of us right now when something happens to say, man, we're praying for that. The secular world looks at that and goes, that means you don't do anything. And sometimes that comes with a lot of political things, and I won't even get into that. But listen, I believe prayer works. I believe that we have a lifeline with the God of the universe and that he says, ask me and I'll give it to you. I think prayer makes a difference in the world even though it is a supernatural event but if you deny all things supernatural, you deny God of course praying seems kind of stupid doesn't it it's a waste of time if God isn't real but he is now how many of you struggle with prayer maybe you go through season you say I'm going to set aside a certain amount of time part of my day for prayer and then you sit down you pray for about three minutes and your mind is just wandering, and you kind of run out of things to say. Ever been there? I have. Part of that is that prayer is a discipline, and it's something that as we practice, guess what? We get better at it. And so it's okay to some days let your mind is wandering when you pray. But there's also things that, that can help. And for instance, prayer goes hand in hand with reading and meditating on the Word of God. If you will put it together and begin to pray through the scripture that you're reading. God, help me understand this. How can I apply this to my life? How can I pray this for my brother that also needs it? If we begin to do that, guess what? It begins to change our prayer life. And it begins to direct us. And so there's some practical things like that that I want to talk about in coming days. Um, there's a book that someone gave to me a few years ago. Uh, Pastor, uh, D- or Dr. Stephen Wade visited us on the mission field and he gave me a book. And Because he, he was reading it, it was called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. And he said, he's like, you know, this might be good for you. And he just left that book with me, it was gracious enough to do that. And I read it and it really began to influence and change my prayer life. To, to begin to go through the Psalms and pray through them. Praying through scripture so that it would direct our prayers. There's practical things that can help us become a more disciplined and, and, or a people of prayer. And so I think we need to begin to look at that. But listen to this, Colossians 4.2 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer. That same writer said, Everyone is devoted to something. Most of us are devoted to many things. When you make something a priority, when you will sacrifice for it, when you will give time to it, you know you are devoted to it. We have to sacrifice and make time for prayer. God expects us to be devoted to prayer. In just a moment, we're going to pray and sing a song of invitation. This is a time for reflection, time for prayerful consideration of what we studied this morning. Even as we sing, I want you to pray this morning. I want you to to ask God to help you grow in your prayer life. If you've been in a season of prayerlessness, now's the time to tell God, I tell God I haven't been praying. I haven't been setting a time I have been setting a time aside time to speak with you. If you've been in a season of prayerlessness, confess it and joyously come to the throne of grace. Listen, he's not here to guilt trip you. He's here to set you free. He's here to give you the blessings of prayer. And if you'd like spiritual counseling, guess what? As we sing this invitation, uh, I'm going to be here. Come and speak with me. If you want to know how to have eternal life, come and tell me and we will meet after the service and we will talk about it. Come. Come this morning. But as we're here, pray. Pray with me now. Oh God, would you be gracious to us right now? According to your loving kindness, Father, would you bless us? According to the greatness of your compassion, would you forgive us and blot out our transgressions? God, would you wash us thoroughly from iniquity and sin? Would you cleanse us? Father, we... You desire truth in the innermost being. You desire truth in our very soul. And Father, all things are laid bare before you. You know exactly what is in our hearts this morning. Would you wash us so that we would be whiter than snow? Would you make us to hear joy and gladness this morning and not sorrow? Father, would you create in us a clean heart? Would you renew in us a steadfast spirit within us? Father, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Sustain us. Thank you, Father for hearing our prayers, for giving ear to us right now. Father, thank you, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.